now ready. I've never met him before. You know, he's on the other side of the country, and I am preparing to call this guy up, and he doesn't know me from Adam, to t- and to tell him, and, he, and Alyssa's told him about me, but to tell this man, I am dating your only daughter, this experienced interrogator. And if you would have told, if you would have heard what I was saying before that phone call, I probably, I think I was pretty, you know, had a, I, I would have said, yeah, it'll be okay. I'm a bit nervous, but everything's going to be fine. I, this is, I probably even could have given you some little sermonette on how this is a good moral thing for me to be doing, uh, to be introducing myself to her dad. But whatever I would have said to you then in 2012, it would have been very, very understated, misaligned with how I really was feeling, which you could see from my body and the way what I, what I was actually doing. I remember standing in my room in college, and I had my iPhone out, and I had, I had dialed his number on my phone. And, like, the number was there, and, the, you know, the green phone button was there. And I remember it, I, I very vividly, like, for 35, it was 35 minutes, like, holding my finger, like, quivering like this, uh, like, just terrified. My relationship with my future father-in-law at that moment, the, the irony is he's one of the least intimidating people I, I know now. My relationship with my future and father-in-law, father-in-law, what I said about it, it's fine, everything's all right, this is a good moral thing to do. What I said about it were clearly misaligned with how, what my relationship with my future and father-in-law actually was like. I was terrified and I felt unworthy and I was nervous. And this same misalignment, our stated understanding of the relationship versus our lived understanding of the relationship, this applies so much to our prayer lives, doesn't it? To our relationship with our Heavenly Father. We would say, many of us would say, we understand in our heads that God loves us and wants what's best for us that he's a father that we can approach at any time, that we can ask him for things in prayer, that he may even provide us with what we need if we ask. We'd at least say that. But in reality, at least for those of you who are in the room, I'm sure who are like me, it can feel very different. Our lived understanding is revealed in how hard it is for us to pray. God's like the father that we rarely call or never call. And when we do call, we feel stuck on what to say and what not to say. And we sometimes want to get out of the call as quickly as we can. And I don't open this way to, to belittle anyone here. Like any, I, in fact, I think it's, let's just be, be plainly honest. We have lots of reasons why we don't pray that make lots of sense. Here, here are reasons we don't pray. And know that every item in this list, I've felt it in some way myself. Why don't we pray? We're distracted. Prayer feels boring compared with the glow of our screens. And for, I could, for me, and I would guess this is the case for at least some people here too, when I say I'm too busy to pray, it actually means I would prefer to watch YouTube shorts for 30 to 60 minutes after the kids are in bed rather than pray. We're distracted. Another reason we don't pray is we're ashamed. We we, we try to pray, and we 
can't figure it out. It's hard to do. It feels weird. So we begin to think, there's, we say, there's something, there must be something wrong with me. Like other Christians know how to do this and are good at praying, but not me. And after two minutes of trying to pray, we think it'd be better to just go get some work done. Like at least I'll feel like productive, like something's happening. The crazy thing about prayer is that within minutes of us trying to do it, it exposes how self-occupied we are and it uncovers our doubts. Sometimes we could say it would even be easier on our faith not to pray because of what it reveals. Why else don't we pray? We aren't sure how to start. Like maybe some of you here are, you, 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 you've tried prayer, you're in, you're, you want to learn how to pray. You're like, what do I say? Should I pray out loud? Should I have a list or something? Don't good Christians have journals they keep? Praying feels like a house project that we don't know how to begin. Another reason we don't pray, it can feel silly. So you're telling me that we should pray words to someone who isn't visibly in front of us? I heard one writer put it this way, praying can feel like whistling into the wind. And this could feel especially true for you today if you're maybe, if you're investigating the claims of Christianity, if you're wondering whether or not this, this whole Jesus stuff is true. Intellectually, you may think prayer seems kind of silly. But at the same time, you may feel some of this draw of like, but there are people in my life I admire who pray, and I want to be more like them. Another reason we don't pray, it's hard. It's just hard to pray. Uh, it's surprisingly tiring and tedious and repetitive, like a workout where we feel like we're not making progress. Uh, about once a month, I haven't been able to do it once a month this past year, but around once a month, I uh, spend a whole day going to a retreat center and I spend the whole day, I try to spend a whole, the whole day in prayer. And there are times where I, I feel guilty about like, how, you know, this is something I got to go do because of the nature of my, my job, uh, being a pastor. And, uh, and it's, it's sometimes I, th- I try, you know, I think of people looking in from the outside and they would think, oh, wow, your life must be nice. You get a whole day to just go pray. And then I remind myself, like, praying is really hard. <laughs> and if you've never tried praying for a whole day, I'd invite you to try sometime. It's very hard. It's hard to keep going. And, I, and on those days, are, those are the days where I, I feel the most in need of a nap, like I can't make it to the end. Praying is hard. We don't have space, like literal physical space. It's hard to find a place to pray when you live in a crowded row home and your family or your roommates are in all the spaces and are needing you in some way all the time. Another reason we don't pray is that we can be mad at God. Prayer hasn't worked before. What about when I asked him for, you fill in the blank. If God's there, it doesn't feel like he, he hears or cares for us. And this, again, is just to repeat what I said earlier, is that prayer reveals our doubts, our insecurities, and it reveals the gap between our lived understanding and our stated understanding of who God is really quickly. I have all this, this long introduction about prayer and go through all these reasons about why we don't pray to stress two things. The first is that I just want to come alongside you as we begin this short sermon series on prayer and normalize for you that prayer is hard. Anyone who says that prayer is easy hasn't tried. 
And also, if you're struggling to pray, you're not alone in this room. The second thing I'm trying to highlight with this, though, is that it it seems clear that with with our, our, our prayer, our particular lack of prayer, that we have, it reveals a strained relationship that we have at times with our Heavenly Father. Imagine if you went to a family therapist and you were telling this therapist about the life in your, your, home, your family and your relationship, particularly with your dad, and the list that I just recounted of all the reasons why we don't pray. Imagine if you gave the family therapist all those reasons for talking, with, all those, those, t- those things about talking with your own dad. You'd say, if you said, hey, yeah, I struggle to talk to my dad because I'm distracted, I'm ashamed, talking to him immediately brings up my insecurities, uh, I don't know how to talk to him, I'm mad at him the therapist would be justified in looking at you and saying, hey, it sounds like you have a dysfunctional relationship with your dad, right? So we're going to open 2024 with a short sermon series on prayer by going through the Lord's Prayer. Uh, Next week, uh, Steve Huber, who's the the church planner who founded this church and is also the head of the whole Liberty Community of Churches, he's going to be here next week with a one-off sermon that's separate from this series. But in the weeks after that, uh, working into mid-February, uh, Larry Walker, uh, Omar Herrera, Jim Bergwall, and I, we're going to go line by line slowly through the Lord's Prayer. And my hope for this series is that we would learn or relearn how to pray. Jesus gives this prayer to his disciples so that they can learn how to pray. And for the veterans of, of prayer in this room, that we would be got, grounded again in the basics and the beauty of what prayer is. I also, I also hope that we would learn more about Jesus. This prayer, it's, it's not just a collection of words, but it's a window into Jesus' life. It's Jesus inviting us to pray like Him, to pray with Him, and we learn about Him as we, as we go through this prayer. So today, I'm going to open our series by making some remarks about the prayer as a whole. And then talk about the first two lines, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And I really only have one point that I'm going to weave throughout everything I say. It's just this. It's that Jesus invites us to pray. So the context around this this, uh, version of the Lord's Prayer that we get in the Gospel of Matthew, this is in the middle, it's right in the very middle uh, of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus gives some teaching about prayer around the Lord's Prayer that, are, that help kind of frame what this prayer is about. He, he explains by pray, explaining what praying should not look like in the, the passage before this. He explains that, he says, who should you, should you not pray like? You should not pray like the hypocrites. This is him referring to Pharisees and the masters of the law. He says, don't pray like hypocrites who pray in public so that they may be seen. But he says, instead, pray in secret, and your Father who is in secret will reward you. Who else does he say not to pray like? He says, don't pray like the Gentiles. And this is him referring to the the other pagan religions of his day. He says, don't pray like them who heap up empty phrases and think that they'll be heard for their many words. Um, So what is this context around this prayer revealing? Who is prayer for? Who does Jesus invite to pray. He invites the humble, not those who are like the religious leaders who are strutting their righteousness in front of, all, in front of everyone. He doesn't invite only the eloquent and the impressive people to pray, like the Pharisees. 
but he invites those who are lowly. Jesus does not invite the righteous to prayer, but sinners. He does not invite those who know all the right words or those who have never been mad at God or those who have the most knowledge about theology. He invites those who feel distracted, guilty, overwhelmed, and don't know where to start. He invites the single mom who's juggling her kids and work and can't get a moment to herself. He invites the man who was just released from prison and has to rebuild his entire life. He invites the teenager who feels embarrassed about praying out loud and doesn't know where to start. He invites any, if any of the reasons I listed for why we don't pray, if any of those reasons register for you, that's probably a sign that Jesus is uniquely inviting you to pray. The very ways that we feel weak or disqualified to pray are actually signs that Jesus is inviting us to pray. They're the reasons that we get the invite in our mailbox from Him to come to Him in prayer. This is the heart of Jesus. He invites the humble into prayer, unlike the Pharisees. And He also invites the simple, unlike the Gentiles who have their, their fancy phrases. This is the first observation I always have when looking at the Lord's Prayer, is that it's really short. It's only, in English, it's 52 words. Counting characters, it's 271 characters, counting spaces, which means that the Lord's Prayer could be a tweet. What does this reveal about prayer, about Jesus' invite to pray? Here's a, a quote from a, a scholar named Wesley Hill, a New Testament scholar who wrote a book on the Lord's Prayer. He says, we can give up all our anxious efforts to pacify, convince, or haggle with God. It's a simple prayer, a simple invitation. It's like, have you ever gotten a short text or a voicemail from an old friend of yours who reaches out without an agenda just to say, hey, we haven't caught up in a while. Would you like to get together sometime soon? There are a few things that warm the soul more than a simple invite to be together with someone who knows and loves you, right? And that's what the Lord's prayer is. It's a simple invite from Jesus to come with him to the Father. The opening line of the Lord's prayer, our Father in heaven. The word our is probably where I'm going to spend the most time. It's just so massively important. By opening with our Father, Jesus invites us into prayer to his Father with him. That's the R. It's us and Jesus coming to the Father together in prayer. We can come to the Father, and this is, this is looking ahead to Jesus' cross, uh, is that because of Jesus taking um, our, our, his, our record of sin upon himself and him giving his record to us, dying for our sins on the cross, he's made a way for us to come to the Father boldly and in Him. We come to the, we say we come to the Father in prayer with Jesus, through Jesus, in Jesus. The our, our Father in, in heaven, our Father, it references how prayer is all of us as the church praying together. Prayer is a corporate activity. But before even that, the our is us praying with Jesus. 
really let this sink in, okay? The only begotten Son of God who was with the Father in the very beginning, through whom the world was created, the one who said, the Father and I are one. That same man looks at us, looks at you, and says, pray with me. Let's go to the Father. When Jesus invites us to pray, it's nothing less than him, us, him welcoming us into his very relationship with the Father. This would be like the prince of the kingdom, the heir to everything, coming to a peasant and saying, let's go together to speak to the king. And when you come into his presence, you can call him dad. And he'll be just as excited to see you as he is to see me. This is the heart of prayer. In Jesus, we are given access to the Father like a child has access to his dad, to a loving dad, not like our flawed, broken, absent dads that many of us have experienced in our lives, but our heavenly Father. When I was a kid, uh, I, uh, I was terrified in the middle of the night to go and knock on my parents' door if I'd had a nightmare or was sick. And it's because I was like, I'm so conscientious and neurotic. I would like constructed rules in my head that apparently my parents had imposed upon me and I was afraid they'd be mad at me. And this, uh, this fun, so I remember like standing in front of my parents' door, it's like a seven-year-old like quivering, not afraid to knock on the door and go in. Uh, a funny thing that I've learned is, I didn't learn this until like as an adult, but apparently my two younger brothers would just bust into my parents' room whenever they felt like it. And uh, they weren't, they weren't as conscious, they weren't as neurotic as I was. They, had, they realized that they, my, and my brothers are a far better analogy of what prayer is supposed to be. Unfettered access to come and talk to your dad who cares for you. Here's a, another quote from, from Wesley Hill. What Jesus offers to believers is a picture of a God who is eager, indeed delighted, to hear prayer. Unlike human fathers, who are often engrossed in their smartphones and have, their attention cap- have to have their attention captured in some creative way by their children, God is already and always attentive to His children. By inviting us to pray to the Father, Jesus is showing us also, by calling, him, by calling God Father, He's showing us that prayer is personal, which you've heard in everything I've been saying already. We come to God in prayer with a personal greeting, uh, here's what uh, another commentator, another um, commentator, I read a book on prayer named Paul Miller, um, what he wrote. He, he said, oddly, many people struggle to pray because they're focusing on praying, not on God. He, and the image he gives for this is imagine a, a family dinner or a dinner with your friends. Imagine if at that, that dinner with, with the people whom you love, if you focused all your attention on the conversation at that dinner, if you're focusing all your attention on the conversation itself, you're bound to be obsessed over weird things, be disappointed about, about how the conversation goes. But if you focus instead on the actual people that are sitting there at the table, you'll find all kinds of riches. And then the conversation will probably come more naturally than if you're trying to manufacture a perfect conversation. 
So it is, he says, with, with prayer. So if prayer is personal, it's us coming to the Father whom we love. What does this prayer teach us about this one who we're coming to? To whom is Jesus inviting us to pray? He's in heaven, our Father in heaven. Uh, in heaven, this doesn't mean that the Father is confined to one place, often a certain place inside or outside the cosmos, far away. Um, it's, it, it, it's, it's, it's a language instead that points to God's authority and power. Uh, the heavens are a place, the place where power lies, the place from which the world is governed. It's not unlike, you know, if you ever are driving around Center City or looking at Center City, if you think about who are the people that have offices or penthouses that occupy the, that are in the tallest buildings in our city. Those are probably some of the most powerful people in the city, right? Like there's something about the height that is a symbol of, it's a picture of authority. So it is when saying that God is in heaven, in the highest of all places. Uh, the Father that Jesus invites us to pray to, He's a Father, He's accessible. He is the living God. He is fully powerful and transcendent and at the same time fully accessible to us like kids in the middle of the night with their dad. Because he is in heaven, the Father holds in his hand all things on earth, both visible and invisible, and we can still call him Father. Are you beginning to see just the wonder of this invitation from Jesus to pray. This is, this is not just empty theological speak. Like When we pray, we go with Jesus to the throne room to speak with the Father who loves us. That's something to emphasize, by the way. It is still coming to our dad in the middle of the night. But the room that we're going to, it is the throne room. It's both. Like, if, this, if this, is, this is all true, the one who is fully accessible, fully powerful, who wants us to come to him, why would we hold back from asking him for anything? From telling him anything? How does it make one iota of sense to be too busy to do that? The prayer continues hallowed be your name. And hallowed just means holy, an old-fashioned word that we don't use very much besides when we say Halloween, which comes from All Hallows' Eve. Halloween, or Halloween, hallowed be your name. And holy, hallowed means holy, and there's a reference to God's name. And name is a stand-in for God's whole being. It's not just a few syllables about His proper name, like do you call me Steve or Stephen? It's, 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 it's a lot more expansive than that. In Scripture, God's name is representative of His being, His very self. So, like, for example, in the Ten Commandments, the third commandment is, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. That is certainly a command to not say God's names in a way that's profane or, or, what, or what have you. But more than that, it's a command to honor everything that God has put His name on, every, all his, his word, His church, His attributes, His means of grace, everything about Him, to honor, it, honor those things with our words and actions because the name of God is representative of His whole being. So what's Jesus' invitation when saying, inviting us to pray, hallowed be your name? 
It can't be to pray that God would be more holy, right? That doesn't make any sense because God is holiness. There's no source of holiness in all creation besides him. Pray, like praying for God to be more holy would be like, uh, folks from Lancaster will appreciate this. Has anyone been to Shady Maple before? Shady Maple. Shady Maple is like this, it's a place where you paid like around 20 bucks and there's just like enough food there to feed a small army, unending buffet of food. Uh, fun, yeah, it's a fun visit, a great way to get a stomach ache. Um, praying for God to be more holy, it'd be like bringing a side salad to Shady Maple. Like, I, I came to contribute, it just doesn't make any sense. Like, the Shady Maple is all, there, there's Already tons of food there. It is utterly overflowing with food. In the same way, God's holiness is utterly full. We don't need to make it more. So with hallowed be your name, Jesus is inviting us to do two things in prayer. The first is just to praise God. In Jesus, we get to walk into the throne room and praise God for his holiness, for his being. It's us getting to tell God that we love him. And implied in us telling God that we love him is that he's a father worthy of all love because he's holy and good and beautiful. And like this, us getting to come and praise God, like this isn't us just being sycophants or suck-ups. Like it's praising the one to whom we owe everything. Like the, the, the closest analogy I could think of was I've lately been, in the month of December, I was thinking a lot about the, uh, the story of Ryan Leaf. I don't know if... if I'm, I'm sure there are a number of people who know that name. Ryan Leaf was a quarterback uh, from Washington State University, and he was drafted in, in the NFL the same year as Peyton Manning in 1998. And there was a huge debate, like, is Peyton Manning, you know, who ended up being, like, one of the greatest of all time, Peyton Manning or this guy, Ryan Leaf, like, who should go first? And Peyton Manning was picked first by the Colts, but Ryan Leaf was picked, it was, and he was picked second by the, Char- the San Diego, then San Diego Chargers. And he just to- he was he's gone down as the biggest tr- bust in draft history. Like his career flamed out. He had tons of behavioral issues. He ended up getting out of the league within four or five years. He ended up having uh, an addiction to drugs, committing like uh, committing crimes. Ended up in jail. Uh, and over the past like four or five years, he's after being released from prison. Like he's he's been very vocal about his path to recovery. And um, has gone on you know, the Dan Patrick show, Rich I, these, these different sports channels shows, and talked about his story and where he's at now. And the closest analogy I can think of, like coming to thank, just praise God for who He is, is it's similar to like come before a cultural leader whose influence has improved your life. And it's like really moving for me to hear uh, Ryan Leaf was like a he was a co-host on on one of these sports shows. Uh, for just like as a guest, and they got calls in kind of unprompted from people who had heard Ryan Leaf's story. And the people, like, here's some of the quotes from, the, these are like, you know, these are men who are like, their voices are quiver, quivering and cracking in tears as they're saying this to Ryan Leaf. They're like, they're like, I survived because of you. I celebrate 30 months sober today. Another, here's what another guy said this. He was like, I love you to death you've been so good for a lot of people and I can't thank you enough. I can't tell you how much I respect you and your honesty. Um, 
these people coming to Ryan Lee, it's them thanking him for what the role that he's played just with what he said and who he is that's contributed to them coming to a place of recovery and health and stability. It's an imperfect analogy. But in Jesus, we're invited in saying, hallowed be your name. We're invited to come to the one to whom we owe all things, and we get to tell him, I love you to death. I survived because of you. This is not groveling, but it's honoring the one who, to whom is owed all honor. Also, so the hallowed be your name, it's a prayer. Jesus invites us, it's a, excuse me, it's a praise, but it's also a petition. It's asking God for something. While in the throne room, we look, without, we look at the rest of the world and we pray, Father, we ask that your name would be treated as holy in all places and by all people. It's asking that God would be worshipped and recognized for who he is. So I'd invite you today, like, if there's someone in your life whom you love who's in a place of darkness, whether inflicted upon themselves or just in a time of suffering, hallowed be your name is a, pray that you, a prayer that you can pray for them. It's asking God to bring his light and his life to those who are in darkness, to hearts that are stuck in pain and in sin. With Jesus, I want to invite you to pray as we start this new year. Let the Lord's Prayer be your guide as you learn and relearn how to pray. And let me close with an image from the New Testament that encapsulates Jesus' invitation to you, to us, to pray. Um, and to preface this image, let me say, let me confess to you all uh, that there have been seasons in my own life, my own faith, where I haven't prayed for days which turned into weeks, which turned into months. And that, that for me, that happened actually at times when I was like training, preparing to be in ministry. And my hypocrisy of like going into ministry but not being able to come to the Lord in prayer, my hypocrisy, it was so paralyzing every day uh, that, uh, that it felt like going into prayer with each day felt more burdensome and humiliating. It made it harder to start again. And I, so I give you this image as something that has freed me in times such as that to come back to prayer and the image is one that many of you know. It's the parable of the prodigal son. And for those, those of you who aren't familiar with this, this story, Jesus tells this story about um, a, a, father, a, story, a story of two sons. In particular, I'm going to look at the younger son. The younger son goes to his dad and says, I want, your, I want my share of the inheritance. Basically saying, I wish you were dead. And the father gives it to him. The son goes off and he spends it on all of the inheritance on reckless living. And he finds himself uh, in the mud with pigs, and he sees that pigs are eating better than he is. And he comes to himself, and he realizes that he, that he, he could be a, a hired hand in his father's house, and it would be far better than being here with the pigs. So the son, who's wasted away everything, he treks back to his father's house, preparing his speech He's saying to himself, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. This is me. This is us getting ready to pray. It's hiking back to our heavenly Father, whom we've ignored and pushed away and abandoned. 
This is prayer. Trekking into the presence of my Father, limping to Him in hypocrisy and shame, preparing my speech. Do you know what the Father does? This is prayer. It's the Father seeing me, seeing you, seeing us from afar, dropping what He's doing, hiking up His robes, running towards us, embracing us, putting a robe on our backs and a ring on our fingers, and saying, My beloved Son was gone, but He's back. He's alive again. Let's celebrate. This is prayer every single time. It's coming back into the arms of the Father who loves you. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen.